You know, this morning we're going to continue in our series in the Gospels. And as we've been reading through the Gospel accounts, you know, we've been asking ourselves the question, who is Jesus and why should we follow him? And we're going to look at Luke chapter 7 today. So I hope you'll turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you you're welcome to use. Uh, We're going to look at Luke 7 and we're going to continue to seek out the answer to that most important question. And as we're turning to Luke 7, let me ask you another question. Uh, Have you ever heard of the duck test? Well, one site defines the duck test this way. The duck test is a form of abductive reasoning. And this is its usual expression, and you'll recognize the expression. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. And so the idea, though, is the test implies that a person can identify an unknown subject by observing the subject's habitual characteristics. And in order order for the duck test to work, though, you need to know what a duck is and you need to know what a duck does. uh, And then you need to have a subject that you're observing to see if it, in fact, is a duck. Well, when we think about the Gospels, the subject is Jesus. The subject is, okay, who is Jesus? We're trying to identify the subject. And when we read the Gospels, we read about several people that interact with Jesus. They observe Jesus' teaching. They observe Jesus healing people. Uh, they interact with Jesus. And then these people you know, apply the duck test. Uh, they make observations. And then using what they know, they try to identify who Jesus is. Well, this morning... In Luke 7, I want us to look at a person who interacted with Jesus in a significant way and then asked a very significant question. And his name is John the Baptist. Now, this isn't the first time uh, that we have seen John the Baptist surface in the gospel record. Uh, If you were here at the beginning, you know he was around since the beginning of our study. In fact, John uh, had literally been around Jesus from the womb. You know, when John's mother was pregnant with him, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary, came to visit her. And we're told that when they came together, that John leaped in his mother's womb. And so from a very, very early age, there was a special connection there between Jesus and John. Then later in Luke chapter 3, we read about John the Baptist uh, going out and proclaiming uh, a baptism of repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. Now, in other words, he was going and he was talking to the people of God, people that had faith in God, and he was uh, telling them to acknowledge the areas of their lives that were not in line with the will of God, confess those to God, and turn and follow God. Uh, He was telling them to repent, which means, you know, a turning from a life of disobedience to a life of obedience to God. And many were responding. I mean, people were coming out in all, all sorts of towns and cities to, to John out in the wilderness to be baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins. So people were responding in great numbers to John's preaching. And because of John's piety, his, his willingness to follow God, his powerful preaching, people began to ask the question, is this the Christ? You know, is John the Christ? Could he be the one who is going to usher in this this new age? 
Now, before we go any further, let me explain why they were looking for the Christ. You know, think back to the duck test. You know, the duck test is helpful if you know what a duck is and what a duck does. Uh, And they were looking for the Christ. Now, the Christ was a person uh, that God had promised to send to usher in the kingdom of God. Uh, And there were various interpretations of who this person would be and who they, what they would be like. Uh, But there were some signposts in the Old Testament that were left by the prophets. For example, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4 uh, gave the people a glimpse of what was to come in this new era and, and who would usher in this new era. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And so the prophets, like Isaiah here, they gave the people a vision of what the kingdom of God would look like. You have this liberation Uh, You have this liberation of all that stood against God and his ways. And this included the Roman Empire. So they were looking forward to this uh, reversal of fortune for the people of God. This reestablishment of uh, the kingdom of God. And the prophets gave the people also a glimpse of this type of deliverer. The anointed one. uh, The Christ and what he would be like. He would be filled with the spirit of God. He would come from the lineage of David. He would bring good news to the poor. He would heal. He would you know, make the blind see and the lame walk. And so when the people observed the piety of John the Baptist and they heard his preaching and they saw all these people coming out to him, they thought, could he be the Christ? Could he be the one that God has sent to usher in the new age? And John knew they were asking this question and so he gave them the answer in Luke chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, this is what he says. says, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So John was telling the people that he's not the Christ. The Christ is someone who is much greater than he is. Uh, And one of the main ways that this Christ figure would be greater than John is that whereas John baptized with water, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and he would bring about this judgment that would separate the people of God from those who oppose God. And here we see John, and John is one of the earliest people uh, to believe that Jesus was the Christ. 
before Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, before Jesus healed a sick person, uh, before He claimed to be able to forgive sins, John believed that Jesus was the Christ. And this is why John, uh, I mean, this is why when Jesus came to be baptized by John, uh, it's recorded in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, that John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So John acknowledges Jesus is this Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one bringing in this new era for the people of God. Well, not long after uh, the baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist was arrested by Herod. You see in Luke chapter 3 verses 19 and 20, we read, But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, in other words, John reproved Herod, for Herodias, Herodias, I guess I might say, uh, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added, to this, to, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. So now John's in prison, and while John the Baptist is in prison, Jesus began to make his way around Galilee, preaching, teaching about the kingdom of God, healing people. And uh, this brings us to Luke 7 where John the Baptist again resurfaces. So after the Sermon on the Mount, which we've covered the past few weeks, Jesus once again goes out and and demonstrates His power to heal. In Luke 7, verses 1 through 10, uh, it gives us this account of Jesus healing the centurion servant with a word. Then in Luke 7, verses 11 through 17, uh, this this account gives us um, the account of Jesus causing... Uh, the dead son of a widow to be raised to life, to come back to life. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, then this act of Jesus of raising this widow's son back to life would have been reminiscent of the great prophet Elijah. Elijah, when he raised the widow's son from the dead. So with this backdrop of Jesus going out healing, raising people from the dead, with this backdrop, Luke shares with us an interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus. So look with me at Luke 7, beginning in verse 18. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, meaning all these things that Jesus had done. They reported these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now that question should shock you. And the reason it should shock you is because of who asked that question. And Luke knows that this is a shocking question, and that's why he places it twice in two verses. Okay, he wants to make sure you understand this is a shocking question because it's being asked by John the Baptist. You know, but you think, well, you know, John the Baptist, you know, he seemed so certain that Jesus was the Christ. What happened? Well, what happened to John, I think, is what happens to all of us to some degree. It's similar to what happens to us. You know, we want Jesus to act the way we think he should act. 
And then when he doesn't, we have questions. And that's exactly what happened, I think, to John. Uh, And for John, I think the issue was uh, political timing. That Jesus wasn't doing things the way he anticipated Jesus, that he would do things. You know, remember John said that this one that was to come, this Messiah, this Christ, would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, and he has his winnowing fork, and he's going to separate those who are God's people and those who are not. So there was this sense in which he would bring salvation, bring renewal, restoration, but he would also bring judgment against any opposition to the kingdom of God. So I believe that you know, John, John expected Jesus not only to teach and heal, but to establish a new government that would oppose any power that would stand in opposition to God and His ways. You know, I believe John expected Jesus to establish a kingdom like the kingdom of David, but even in a much greater way, in his lifetime. But while sitting in prison... Instead of hearing of political strategy, he's hearing of Jesus, you know, teaching, healing, raising people from the dead. And so John is compelled to ask the question, are you the one? Are you the one? Or shall we look for another? And I wonder, have you ever asked that question to Jesus or about Jesus? You know, Jesus, is he the one? I mean, is he really the one? Or should I look for another? I want you to notice how Jesus answers the question. Look at verses 21 through 23. He says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, John's messengers, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So in so many words, Jesus tells John to use the duck test, right? If Jesus makes the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, cleanses the lepers, raises the dead and preaches good news to the poor, then who can he be other than the Christ? That's the point. And I think you know, we should be encouraged by Jesus' response to John. And I hope you are. Uh, because Jesus didn't condemn John's question. You know, Jesus didn't refuse to respond to John. And what we see is that Jesus gave John what he needed to continue to have faith in God. And I think one thing we see here is it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to ask questions. And that's one of the main ways we learn is by asking questions. Now, we may not get all the answers we would like, but I do think God will give us what we need to continue to trust in Him. Now, look with me at verses 24 through 28. And not only does Jesus not condemn John for asking the question, I want you to notice what he does here. He turns to the crowd and he shares something about John with the crowd. Listen to what he says. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Now listen to this, twenty-eight, verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. Especially if you were Jewish and you had a working knowledge of the Old Testament. And Jesus says, okay, who did you go out to see? Well, you went to go see someone who's a prophet? No, greater than a prophet. And he said this, among those who have ever been born of a woman in the history of the world, none is greater than John. Obviously, he's excluding himself, but he's saying before John, you know, there, there was never a person greater than John. And this is the guy that questioned Jesus's identity, right? He just questioned, are you the one? Are you really the Christ? And yet Jesus says there has never been anyone born of a woman greater than John. That is an amazing statement. But it prompts the question, well, what makes John greater than everyone else? And I believe the main thing that made John greater was his role in God's plan. You know, John believed God and he carried out God's plan for him in the preparation for the coming of Jesus. He prepared the way of Jesus. He fulfilled what God had called him to do, which made him great. And what made him greater is he was involved in the ushering in of this new era, this new age that Jesus ushered in. He prepared the way for Jesus. And this should encourage us all that even the greatest had questions. You know, even the greatest had to have his belief challenged and changed and tweaked. Uh, now one difference is John could send his messengers to Jesus and say, hey, ask Jesus this question. Uh, we can't really do that. Uh, but what we can do, and I think what we ought to do with our questions, is we need to go to God's word. You know, God has given us all that we need to know who Jesus is and follow him in his word. I want to read one last statement, uh, which can be found in verse 28. You know, Jesus said this, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now listen to what he says. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So this statement gives us a glimpse of the significance of what Jesus accomplished. You know, through his life, death, and resurrection, he ushered in a new era, a new age, a new way for us to experience uh, the kingdom of God. And as great as John was, he never saw the day when the sacrificial system would find its fulfillment in the death of Christ. And the complete provision of sin was dealt with once for all. As great as John was, he, he never saw the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile torn down through what Christ would accomplish. He never saw the day when the Holy Spirit would indwell every citizen of the kingdom of God. He never saw the day when the promised land would extend 
from not only the land of Canaan, but the entire earth. And the fact that we have the privilege of all these truths in this era through faith in Jesus Christ makes our experience of the kingdom greater than John's. And that's what Jesus is saying. The least in the kingdom is greater than John because of what we get to experience because of what Christ has done in the ushering in of this new era, the ushering in of the kingdom of God. But your entrance and the experience of the kingdom depends on what you believe the answer to this question is. You know, is Jesus the one? Is he the one? Or should you look for another? Is Jesus the one who taught the people with the authority of God? Is Jesus the one who was sent by God to save humanity from their sins? Is Jesus the one who lived a perfect life in obedience to the Father? Is Jesus the one who died on the cross to once and for all deal with our sin problem? Is Jesus the one who rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the devil, proving that there is more to life than this life? Is Jesus the one who is seated at the right hand of God? Is Jesus the one who will return and judge the living and the dead? Is he the one, or should you look for another? I believe that he is the one, and that through faith in him, we can be made right with God, both now and forever. But the question is, what do you believe? What do you believe? You know, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. And remember, it's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the object of your faith. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to be made right with God, if you want to follow Jesus, then place your faith in Him today. And as we go to God in prayer, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ if you've never made that decision. And if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to follow Him, then I encourage you to make this your prayer. And for those of you who are in Christ, just use this opportunity just to renew your commitment uh, to, the, to follow Jesus wherever He may lead. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I've been living my life apart from you. I now recognize that I'm a sinner and that forgiveness can only be found in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I desire that you become my Lord and Savior. Lord, and that I want to follow you and Savior, and that you are the only one who can give eternal life. I now turn to you and ask that you come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you made that decision today, I want to encourage you to tell someone so that we can come alongside you as a church and help you grow in your relationship and become the person God wants you to be. Now let us stand and worship the Lord as we sing our final hymn together.